You're listening to Sunnyside Up, a B2B podcast that brings together real-world insights to help go-to-market professionals evolve and stay up-to-date on the latest trends. Join us as we bring you the best practices and proven techniques from industry experts and practitioners. Today's episode is made possible by Demandbase. Demandbase is transforming the way B2B companies go to market by enabling customers to embrace modern digital sales and marketing with a complete end-to-end suite of products. Thanks for listening. Hello, everyone. Meetul Shah here. Welcome back to Sunday Side Up. Today, I'm super excited to talk to Zrina Stanford on the game of leverage in sales and marketing. As a seasoned CMO recently with Rackspace prior to that, Senity, SAP, and IBM, really large companies. Zarina Lamb Stanford led with the customer-centric, insight-driven, and outcome-based approach to branding, communication, demand generation, field marketing, product marketing, and research. Zarina, super excited to talk to you. I, I'll tell you this: I've I've interviewed many leaders. I've interviewed you know many CMOs you know in the past, but the conversation we had you know previously, even last twenty minutes, the conversation we have been having has been just such a fantastic, and even today's topic like that, just kind of talking about game of leverage in sales and marketing. I've not talked to anybody, you know, related to this specific topic about, you know, the leverage and and why this game of leverage and, you know, what do you talk about like one culture, one company? Usually don't hear that from CMOs, right? Usually it's, it's considered as an HR topic, right? So maybe maybe we can start with that. You know, why are you so passionate about this whole concept of one company and one culture? Well, you know, so so first of all, I had the same pleasure here as well too. I love our conversation. We're going to continue that conversation. To me, when we talk about marketing, it's about what people think of us, right? One one thing that's important as marketing and sales is to be relevant. Well, mm-hmm. what do people care about? They care about our services. They care about offerings. They care about who we are. But ultimately, what makes who we are? Mm. It's the culture. It's the people who become a part of our team and who are the part of the, you know, the wreckers, the IBMers, the SAP super awesome people. Those are all the people who makes up the company and the brand. So I'm a major, major fan and major belief in the power of some call it employee branding, some call it, you know, internal branding. But that's who we are, and who we are is what extends out to what the company is going to be experienced. So I think that's why it's important. It's interesting, though. You just made a point, and I do want to comment on that. That oftentimes that is very much an HR function. So this is one thing you know we've talked about last time as well too. Is that I have a strong conviction that CHROs, CMOs, and CROs we all have the same job. Mm-hmm. Our task and our mission is to be relevant. CHRO focuses on the internal side. CMO focuses on the external side, the external facing. And CHR, I mean, and CRO is to how do you monetize all of that? And if we can really do this in unison, there is only one C, one O, whatever you want. You know, we're in this together. And that's what creates our value proposition and our brand promise. And that's why I connect and partner with my CHRO partners, with my sales partners and myself in my role in all of my jobs, because it's a game of leverage as we're just talking about, right? We have to be in this together. Very interesting. So is, is it concept-wise, are, are you talking about like we as a leaders needs to think about this from the beginning, you know, at the get-go when you're establishing company that 
it, this is like a, a one company, so one unit. It's not like, okay, this is subsidiary in Australia and subsidiary in Japan, subsidiary in China and US and whatnot. And then things are kind of divided and you know divvied up that, oh yeah, this is Japan specific and this is US specific. And are, are you talking about, this is more like a mindset that you know when as a, we as a leader are thinking about it, we should be thinking this is a one company, one culture type of a mindset. Yeah, absolutely. And it's also applying that mindset every day, every moment. So mm-hmm. let me just give an example. I had the luxury to spend quite a lot of time in my IBM career, and I learned so much. I mean, I still think that it's an awesome company, and I'm very proud that we have been an IBMer. And the one threat that we all talk about is one brand, one voice. And when you're a brand that operates 100 plus company and countries around the world, there is only one logo. And I'm very big about the protective visual, you know, in the sense of because that's what people think about. When you mm-hmm. see a logo, you have images coming all around and your work cloud starts to fly around. Absolutely, yeah. And you want that to be in unison. And so having that one single brand that you walk around anywhere around the world and have people immediately understand who you are, that's the power of brand. And if we are going to be so different, whether it is, you know, company X in Utah versus company X in Egypt or company X in India, the clients and the customers and the partners and the employees has to feel the same way. Mm-hmm. And that's this one voice. And I also believe the contradiction, the contrary of that to bring the power of the globe is that each parts of the world contributes to something uniquely different into that brand. And it's the composite. Is the inclusive of all that creating a global brand. And, you know, I, I would challenge anybody listening to this is that if you aspire for your brand to be global, you have to act global and bring all these pieces together. But when you're on the ground and when you're talking to individual, you have to be very local because at the end of the day, it's marketing to one. So that's, that's quite interesting, right? I mean, like, you know, pivoting to sales and marketing is that sales and marketing in general is considered to be very country specific, even many a time, like, you know, region specific sport, right? That, that how sales and marketing happens, say, for example, in North America is, is not the same as how it will happen in Japan. And, you know, even if you're hiding sales and marketing professionals, you know, catering to North American market, I've seen that that even if, if you have offshore units in, in for your sales or marketing, they would change the name. You know, they would change the name to some North American name and so forth. So when the sales and marketing is kind of thought as a very region or country specific sport, how do you apply that to this? So I think if, if I may say that there is a little bit of a fallacy in terms of yes, sales and marketing, in particularly sales, has to be very market specific. And that practice is what I call go-to-market. Mm. There is a particular market, and how you're going to that market has to be valid, relevant, mm. and therefore has to be local, exactly what I was saying earlier. Yeah. Sales and marketing as a general discipline shouldn't be different. So as an example, right, I put yeah, yourself in, in, in your domain now, let's say, that when you evaluate performance by your team, you use similar, if not the same measurements, the same KPIs, because mm-hmm. we're measuring the same business. 
However, that's on the internal side, right? However, if we're trying to be relevant to a local market, we have to apply different go-to-market. So a go-to-market is a subset in my book of sales and marketing. So therefore, there is global sales, marketing, you know, guidance, strategies, what have you. Bad word. I shouldn't say guidance. It's just like, you know, this is, this is where we're going and this is where we are. Where we're trying to go. That's it, period, right? Yeah. But how do we go there? It's like a road, right? We all want to go to, you know, this destination. We were talking about traveling earlier. Like we all want to go. But you could navigate this way, winding and what have you. Someone else could go straight on. And this variation is what is referred to as go-to-market. Mm-hmm. And go-to-market has to be market-specific. It could be country-specific. It could be regional-specific. It could be a segment-specific. But the principle of sales and marketing, the principle of applying culture as a brand multiplier, as a growth multiplier, and applying your demand generation expertise and the tech stack that you, you offer and all that, that's common. That shouldn't be different. I would be afraid if I were to have different things running the same company, the same brand, but <laughs> totally different tools, that would be a nightmare. This is quite interesting, right? When, when you think about, you know, like we all have kind of disciplines, right? Companies have created different disciplines that, you know, your CRO and CMO and, you know, CFO and everybody's kind of focusing. And it kind of makes sense, right? Everybody's different experts, you know, in this. But you're talking about a fabric that kind of connects all of them to this one, one unison company and a different it's like we all know about it, but it's like a different mindset, right? A different way of thinking about it. But again, coming back to this, that is this a HR sport? Is this a marketing sport? Is it like a branding sport? What's your counsel for leaders, right? When as whoever's listening to this, as to if you're thinking about this whole notion of one unit per se, how should we be thinking about it as leaders? Yeah. And thanks for coining that. So let's just specifically appeal to ourselves as leaders. First and foremost, regardless of what role we play on the sports, on the team, we're playing for win, right? Mm-hmm. Whatever that vision and whatever that purpose the company has decided to do. Right. We're all in this together. So therefore, you could be a left winger, I could be, you know, whatever different place that different positions that we play on the team. But if we play only individually, we will not get there the fastest, the best, and knockout competitions as we have to. Mm. Yet if we are unified and synchronized, I should say, right? It's more of a synchronized and approach to that. That will take much further. So the pragmatics of thinking of that is that I think individuals has to have two hats, mm. leaders in particular. The highest, taller hat that we wear is for the company is one brand. And who we are as an individual has to be authentic to what we believe in as well as what the company stands for. If you take away that taller head, then there is another head. The head underneath it is the functional head, if you will. Mm-hmm. It's you know, what we bring the expertise into the, onto the table and onto the conversation. And people pick ourselves to do different roles, whether you are CRO, CMO, because we bring the different expertise, but it's the one plus one equals the 10 game. Again, you know, the leverage game, right? We could, if you do the right leverage, you could tilt the object much further, much farther apart and much further away. And that's, you know, to me, part of the growth equation. 
But how, how do you know it's working, right? I mean, as a business owners, I mean, at the end, you know, it, it always comes down to bottom line, always comes down to dollar and cents and ROI and whatnot. Yes. So how do you know that this mindset philosophy is actually working? You know, I think you just said it too. I think it's two and they're complementary. One, it has to be ROI. Whatever the return that we're asking for, whether it's the shareholders or as the owners or as the, you know, the P&L owner for that matter, the other part is, and I want to bring the people part of it, the culture part of it. The other piece is that are people proud doing what you're doing? There are companies who are killing it. I mean, they're killing it, but people don't like being there or people don't like to use their product, but they just felt like they're stuck. They don't have a choice. They call Whereas, it pressure cooker. Yeah, exactly. Whereas there are companies who just say they're still, they're also excelling, but along the way, they bring advocates along. Yeah. The employees, the customers, they can't wait to talk about them. That to me is Ivana. And mm. it's not, it's not impossible. I would have to say that. I think not filling in the blanks, if we ask everyone to just close our eyes and say, name three brands that give you that image, mm. we can all name them. There are companies who's doing that with the exceptional shareholders and boards are happy and employees are happy. But most importantly, people love what they do. And I think that's the, that's the part. And there, there, is, there are definite models to do that. And you know, on your point about ROI, we have to first and foremost deliver on the outcome. That's mm -hmm. why at the end of the day, whether it's for-profit or non-profit, there is still an objective that we're trying to achieve. We have to get there. And getting there is part of the journey, but getting there or before we get there to say, continue to push, continue to propel, continue to excel. But I think that's what companies ought to do. And I would say, apply the same thing as individuals and leaders, more important. I remember years ago, uh, one of my boss told me that when I became my first couple of years as an executive, and uh, he said, you know, the fact is that whether sometimes we know it or not, people are looking at us and they're not to evaluate, but they're learning. That's how they're picking up. I think that's more important for leaders to really lead the way and have clear clarity of vision and appreciation of this diversity of thoughts, diversity of use, and then get things done. Getting things done is important, but in the meantime, having fun doing it. That's that's right. I don't know. I forgot it was Southwest or or somebody else. They said our employees come first, and we want to make sure our employees are really happy because if they're happy, then they would know how to make our customers happy. And if our customers happy, of course, everything will you know everything will happen. But if you're trying to make your customers happy all the time, and if your employees are unhappy, in long run, it's not going to work out. Totally agree. And and at the end of the day, too, is that customers who are happy with you, I mean, just pragmatics here, has much lower cost of acquisition of business. Yeah. The customers will come back and you don't have to put a lot of investment to continue to keep them if right. they're happy. They just keep coming. And the same thing with employees. And, and I think that's the part of why, you know, having advocates and advocates means that you don't really have to pay for what they want to say, but they say it because they really believe in it. Yeah. That's goodwill, that's equity, that's brand value, that's ROI, and that's satisfaction at the end of the day. That's fantastic. Oh, this is this is awesome. 
Thanks, Zareen. I think we can talk on this topic for hours uh, on this. I, I would definitely would want to double click a little bit more on some of these aspects. But if somebody else wants to kind of pick up on this specific topic and, and you're so passionate about it, it just it's just natural. It comes in your voice. It comes in even on the video, you know, 3000 miles away. But if people want to read a little bit more about this or are there any blogs or books or newsletter or other things that you follow, you read to keep yourself abreast about this topic or marketing or any other topic? Yeah, there are a few. And first of all, I think the most important one is go back and revisit your economic books. Mm. I really mean that. Economic books. Interesting. Well, economics, because at the end of the day, things are pure math. Mm. You know, if you want revenue, you want value, how much of this and how much are you going to, it's the P time Q's equation. Yeah. I think, and then how do you run a business to be profitable? You go back to, you know, business economics, if you will. So that, that's the first set, which is kind of the boring kind, but you have to know it because that's the core. And the second piece is that I think there is a great deal of work. I, I really, I'm going to give him a shout out here. Thomas Bada, who is a guru in the marketing space, and uh, he previously was managing director years and years ago at McKinsey. And now he is he's a writer. He has multiple books. And the thread of what he talks about is the fact that marketing leaders are business leaders first. Mm. And that's how we share the stage years back in India and without knowing each other, we both, our talks had the same thread. That's kind of how we connected. And uh, he's also behind Marketing Academy, which I'm a part of the CMO Fellowship. And I would definitely look into his writing. He's actually already got two books in the, in the line. And that's specifically about how to be relevant as a marketing leader, mm. not just for the function, but for the business and for the world. Right. I think that's a big part. Then there is one part, and I wish there are more books to it, so I can't point to a book to it, but there are a number of blogs and you know, I'll continue to do some of mine as well, so feel free to follow me, is this notion about being purpose-driven. Mm. So you, know, you and I talked about how do you really quantify the value of brand? And there are metrics, there are companies like Interbrand and a number of others. But the fact is that the powerful brands, the top 100, the top 10, whether it's technology or others, has a lot of things that is behind it. It's financial strength, it's employee engagement, it's profitability and return, and it's along the lines of efficacy, right? They don't use that word, but that's... So there's real science to why one voice, one brand... And one logo and one presence use that totality. That's fantastic. So I'm sure people are going to have more questions, you know, for you on this and, and how they can emulate some of these things, which what you're talking about. What's the best way to get in touch with you? Well, the best way is probably on LinkedIn, as, as we all know, right? And my I'm going to go ahead and go rook on this is that, you know, I hate email, so don't send me <laughs> Uh, LinkedIn mail is good. And I actually also uh, have my phone number and I'm a SMS person. So feel free and I can share that as well too. But this is just, we live in a time of immediacy. Yeah. Email is a leash. If I have a wish, I would blink and say email as a tool is gone. That means a lot coming from a marketer, you know, that, that email as a channel 
Um, and gone. It's like so long gone, right? You, it's better to ping me on Messenger, on Facebook, or LinkedIn, or even you know Twitter, or anywhere, because email gone. We can talk about that another time. Azarina, <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on the show. I really, really enjoyed this conversation, and thank you, thank you for being part of the community. Really appreciate thank that. You. Thank you very much again for having me, and thank you. And I thoroughly love our conversation. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Sunnyside Up. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us and subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube and Demand Based TV. 